while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome. Happy Friday. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. And I'm Chris McCarthy. And we're actually going to start our show with a little bit of baseball uh, this evening. We're, we're joined by Boston Globe Red Sox reporter Chad Finn. Hey, Chad, how are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? Really well. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You bet. Good. Come on. So, <laughs> so, uh, so Chad, um, I want to start uh, by uh, talking about a book that... Uh, well, bef- before we get started, um, can you just introduce yourself to the audience? Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm a, uh, I've been at the Globe for 19 years, been a uh, sports and media columnist for quite a while, uh, a little over 10 years for the media and uh, uh, columns for the uh, last several years. Not quite sure exactly when that began, but uh, I still feel like kind of the new guy there, but I've actually been there almost 20 years. <laughs> So you edited a book um, with the Globe staff on the uh, on the Boston Red Sox. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so we put together a compilation of uh, the best Globe baseball writing through the their mutual history of the Red Sox. The Globe has actually been around longer than the Red Sox has. I think this is the Globe's 151st year, 152nd year. I know we had 150th anniversary recently. And uh, the Red Sox uh, came around just after the turn of the century in 1901. It's the Boston Americans. So the, the Globe has uh, uh, a couple of decades on them. And uh, in realizing, uh, the, one of the big realizations putting the book together was that back in those, uh, you know, the early part of the, the, the that century, 20th century, um, the Globe covered uh, the Red Sox as intensely as uh, really we do now. I mean, there wasn't as many writers dedicated to it, but when they, you know, when they won the World Series in uh, 1903, wasn't called the World Series yet, but when they won the championship, a 3,000 word game story in the paper. Like today, it would be uh, 800 words, 1,000 words, somewhere in that range. But back then, the only way you could find out about it was if you read it in the paper that's the only way you get your details so they covered the red sox like a uh like they were a, a part of the real part of the fabric of boston from the beginning and it was really cool to realize that uh, as i dug into the project yeah so you curated more than um 300 articles uh it says yeah the book's 420 pages uh at least 300 articles um and, uh, 10 chapters so it's broken down into the beginning, Babe Ruth years, uh, Ted Williams covers a 20-year stretch, more than 20-year stretch. Uh, just all these uh, real landmark moments in Red Sox history kind of uh, define the chapters. And uh, you get into, uh, you know, the stuff you, you maybe wouldn't have known about in the earlier years. And then you get into the Ted Williams coverage and maybe your, your dad or grandfather remembers that. And then at some point, looking at the book, you're going to read things that uh, maybe you read in the Globe growing up. For me, it was Peter Gammons' Sunday baseball columns and his coverage of the uh, Red Sox in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, that 
big reason I wanted to become a sports writer was reading people like him in the Globe. And so it's a real privilege for me to be able to curate the articles of his that go into the book and uh, also just to revisit them again and be able to read them again because they're just so good. The name of that book is the uh, Boston the Boston Globe Story of the Red Sox, More Than a Century of Championships, Challenges, and Characters. Um, so, Chad, you're, you're speaking of the greater New Bedford area, and, of course, this is a great baseball area. In fact, tonight, um, the kid uh, pitch, pitching for the Indians against the Red Sox named Schuster from New Bedford uh, here tonight on, on Nesson. Um, and so the, this, this area, in fact... Ted Williams had his baseball camp right down here in Lakeville. A lot of people. In this, oh, did he? Oh, yeah. A lot of people listening right now know Ted, knew Ted Williams because he um, not only did he um, live right in the area, he lived in Lakeville in the summers with his camp um, after he retired. And then, and then uh, of course, one of his, his guys who really went all through major leagues with him, Camacho, uh, was right here from New Bedford. So a lot of people know, you know, very familiar with him. Yeah, I imagine he probably did a lot of fishing around that he area. Did, he did, yeah. Too. Found a spot or two. Um, he's uh, the introduction of the book is about Ted Williams, and it kind of gets into that famous quote about uh, I think it was uh, John Glenn, the U.S. senator and um, astronaut, who said yeah. Ted Williams is the only person who uh, was the best in the world at three things: hitting a baseball, fishing, and being a fighter pilot, because he had the uh, tours in two different wars, and uh, I think it was what thirty-seven planes uh, that he shot down uh, in, in combat. So, mm-hmm. um, just a, a remarkable life, uh, a familiar one for sure. But I got to tell you guys, you know, there's probably more about Ted Williams in the book than any other player. And there's a lot of David Ortiz, Gaz, uh, yes, people like that. But I, I could have run twice as many Ted Williams stories as I did. One of the things I left out was like this nine-part series in the early 50s kind of detailing his whole life. It could have been a book all by itself. I didn't use it in the book because it's kind of repetitive with other stuff already in there, but just so much much great content with Ted Williams, and the thing with him was also, you know, he had a reputation for feuding with the media, and it certainly was true, but he also was a great quote, so he talked to them, he was mad at them, but Boy, did he give them great copy and great quotes, which right. made for uh, really entertaining stories, even you know, looking back here 60, uh, 70, 80 years later. Well, I remember a story of Ted Williams that in, in, in the 1960 campaign, he came into Boston wearing a Nixon button. On his lapel, uh, you know, just to taunt the Kennedys because he was a Republican, but and, and I guess did not like Joe Kennedy. Uh, well, not particularly. He didn't have a problem with, with Jack Kennedy, but more, more with the father. But I always thought that was an interesting Ted Williams story. That sounds like him too, just needling for uh, for the heck of it. Right. Too. I'm sure he had a couple of good one-liners about that as well. So we're speaking with Chad Finn. He is a Boston Globe uh, columnist, and he is uh, he edited a book called The Boston Globe Story of the Red Sox, More Than a Century of Championships, Challenges, and Characters. Uh, you can check that out. Um, so, uh, you know, you talked about there's a lot of content on Ted Williams for obvious reasons. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've seen, you know, in the, in the press release that... Uh, you know, there's a lot of characters that are probably a little bit more recent in memories. Like, what can we expect from the collection with David Ortiz? Yeah, we actually closed the book with uh, Ortiz getting into the Hall of Fame, that story by my colleague Peter Abraham. It felt like just uh, another new a really guy. Fit, yeah, uh, uh, yes, uh, yeah, Pete. <laughs> yeah, Pete's from uh, New Bedford. Yep, proud New Bedford man. Uh, 
it, it felt like a fitting way to end the book. Um, what, why, uh, why, why does it feel like a fitting way to end a book? What is David Ortiz's importance, uh, significance to the Red Sox um, uh, uh, franchise? Yeah, he. I mean, he just uh, he's the guy who got the hit that nobody else could. You know, throughout history, all their tortured histories of eighty six years of, of not winning a World Series after selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees, uh, crushing losses in sixty seven, seventy five, seventy eight playoff game, eighty six, all that stuff. Right. Uh, Ortiz is the guy who came through. And uh, a lot of my favorite stories in, in the book are smaller ones that kind of maybe weren't a big deal in the newspaper that day, but ended up being a big, big thing. Like one of the ones I really like, Bob Ryan wrote a column uh, in 1974 about these two guys down in Pawtucket that were ripping it up and they were surefire major league stars, Fred Lynn and Jim Rice. And he's totally right. <laughs> it's just a great thing to look back at 74 before either of them had played in the majors and uh, uh, read something like that. And another one uh, related to Ortiz was, it's just a tiny little story in the paper the day the Red Sox signed him. It's like little headline, Red Sox signed twin discard Ortiz, you know, had been released by Minnesota um, had a little success in the majors. They had a 20 home run season at that point, but they certainly didn't think they were getting anything uh, anywhere near what he ultimately became. Right, and, right. Yeah, you know, he he was the guy starting in '04 who uh, really '03. Um, you know, the, the ALCS against the A's, he had a huge hit off Keith Folk in that series, and then they won the World Series together next year, but. Uh, he's the guy who got the hit that Yaz couldn't quite get, that Ted couldn't quite get, that uh, Jim Rice and Mo Vaughn and all these great sluggers in Red Sox history uh, just couldn't couldn't uh, quite deliver the one that got them the championship, and, and Poppy did multiple times. So we're speaking with Chad Finn. He's a Boston Globe reporter uh, for the Red Sox. So, um, you know, we're, you see that you, uh, you there. What's highlighted? Uh, one of the things that uh, stories highlighted in the uh, in the book in the book's press release is the um, franchise's sham of a tryout uh, for Jackie Robinson. Of course, a lot of people, uh, everybody knows who Jackie Robinson is. Um, so I'd wonder, uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? And um, uh, and are is there throughout the book a lot of overlap with social commentary with respect to the um uh, you know the red sox articles yeah i i did include um uh, really any prominent uh, you know social uh, or, or racial issues that the red sox uh encountered were involved with created because it is part of their history uh, the book would be incomplete without it uh, it was a real pleasant surprise to find out that there was anything in the paper at all about the Jackie Robinson uh, sham workout and was 1942. Um, 40, I think it was 42 or 45, but uh, they had the, him and a couple other uh, Negro League players work out at Fenway and uh, really had no intention of signing them as, as we discovered through the years. But um, the Globe covered it couple of paragraphs about about the workout not any commentary on it or anything like that but it's cool to open up a globe in the 40s and see red sox workout jackie robinson so that's in the book we have pumpsy green's debut the first uh, black player to play for the red sox um and a couple of the real controversies that they had the uh, uh the elks club down i believe it was in winter haven in the 80s where they weren't they were giving free passes to white players but not black players until uh uh uh, some Red Sox. I think it was Tommy Harper raised an issue about it. Uh, that's in there, and uh, you know, uh, an, another story on uh, just why they really haven't had 
to a certain point, hadn't had prominent black players for a long time, uh, kind of focused around Mo Vaughn and that story. So when he first came up, so it does address, uh, you know, the negative things that have happened through Red Sox history as well. And, and sort of the uh, poor decisions that they've made in, in terms of issues. Um, we're speaking with Chad Finn from the Boston Globe. So, Chad, what are your thoughts on, on this uh, this season that's about to start? What are your uh, are you hopeful? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was down in Fort Myers for a week, and uh, people are more optimistic now than they were when camp opened, uh, which I guess is progress, right? Um, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. ticked off that uh, most people anyway were ticked off that they really didn't make Xander Bogarts a serious offer. Correct. And, uh, he went to San Diego and got, uh, what, three times, more than three times as much uh, than the Red Sox offered and three times as many years as they offered. So, um, yeah, it, kind of a downer, especially after trading Mookie Betts a couple of years ago and right. having a terrible season last year. But uh, the new guys that they brought in, especially the veteran guys, um, all good guys uh, really seem to uh, it's it's going to be a good chemistry clubhouse and I think people are going to like Justin Turner yeah fantastic Jansen. yeah Corey Kluber a really good guy if they uh, you know if they perform and uh, of course Yoshida uh, if the Reds if he were up for bid now probably a lot more teams would be willing to pay a hundred million dollars for him like the Red Sox did blowing away the the market and then mm-hmm. signing him immediately because he was sensational at the World Baseball Classic. He looked really good in camp. Ball makes a, uh, just a, a noticeable noise when he hits it, a crack of the bat. And uh, he may end up, really, he may end up being the, the, the pivotal point on whether Heim Bloom's the general manager here for a long time or not. Because if he turns out to be a star, this is a win for Heim. If he doesn't, uh, then what have you spent that money on? Right. You've drawn some parallels between uh, this current team, where they're at now, and the in the 2013 team. Um, can you tell us why? Yeah, it's similar in the fact that uh, they brought in guys who were accomplished major league players, but maybe have been coming off a down year, weren't getting multi-year contract, uh, and signed a bunch of them to bolster a ro- roster that, frankly, needed a lot of bolstering. It was the same case in 13. They went out, got... Mike Napoli, Shane Victorino, seven seven free agents, and all of them contributed in some meaningful way. Uh, Koji Uehara was actually on the cover of our book after winning the 13 World Series. The difference, though, I think, is that that 13 team had a lot of talent already. You saw Ortiz, you had John Lester, Dustin Pedroia, a really good core of high-end players. This team... Still kind of caught, uh, you know, caught lacking a little bit there. Uh, you know, Bogart's moving on, and Raphael Devers is a terrific player, but uh, a lot of pretty much everybody else on the roster has a fairly significant question mark. Chad, we appreciate you joining us this evening. Oh, you got one yeah. more question? Just, just want to ask one more question. In our listening audience, we have um, the Cape Cod Baseball League. In particular, the Wareham Gatemen are right here, um, that, which is great baseball. We get a chance to get over and, and, and see the teams. Um, what, our local, one of our local former baseball players is now the general manager of the Wareham Game, and Andy Lang, his father was the mayor of Fall River, of, of New Bedford, excuse me. He was the mayor of New Bedford, and now he's just taken over as president of the entire Cape Cod Baseball League. I, I didn't know if you, you guys follow that at all. Yeah, we do. Uh, my colleague Alex Spear does, uh, covers them quite a bit, and of course, you know, that league uh, is phenomenal. It's one of the best takes in sports to get down there and catch a game in the, in the summer. 
and uh, you're pretty much assured of seeing a future major league star if you stick around and catch a couple of games. So, exactly. Um, that's that's great news because that uh, the Cape Cod League is a gem among gems. Hey Chad, we all look forward to reading your book. Really appreciate you spending some time with us. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, Chad. That was Chad Finn of the of the uh, Boston Globe. The, the book is The Boston Globe Story of the Red Sox, More Than a Century of Championships, Challenges, and Characters. It's um, a book of more than 300 uh, uh, Globe articles curated by uh, Mr. Finn. And so I always like those. Um, oh, they're fantastic. Yeah, the, 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 the books that have the old, the old newspaper articles on it. I had gotten a, a New York Times uh, a book. It's called Book of the Dead, and it's all the, the obituaries. Oh, of, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, so listen, uh, New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang is here. So when we see some calls on the line too. So we're going to hit this break, and when we get back, we'll be with you, you, uh, you the callers, and New Bedford, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang. So stay tuned. Lighter. Hey, welcome back. We're uh, here with um, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang, former and future New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang. Who, by the way, folks, as all of you out there know, the mayor never shows up empty-handed. We want to thank Ricardi's for the beautiful pizzas. Well, actually, we want to thank Scott Lang. He got them. But Ricardi's made them. Delicious. Delicious pizza. Which is he, why there'll be extended commercial breaks. He also uh, <laughs> chow down. He also insisted um, that uh, we have our soda with ice. And he brought ice. And he brought ice. And he's bringing his own ice. So we see some calls on the line. We should uh, we should probably get to them. Um, uh, so we'll have Scott till ten o'clock. Good evening. Hello, hello, how are you? Good. Well, thanks. Good. I, I was listening on while well, I was driving, and I had to get home because you mentioned my dad's name. Oh, uh, did I'm Joe Camacho's son. Oh, congrats. Thank you very much. And um, I was listening, and I found it interesting that um, the book that the gentleman wrote uh, had a lot about Ted in it, of course, with the Red Sox and so forth. And there's a lot of things uh, I was lucky enough in my life to have known Ted since I was three years old until he passed away in 2002. And um, because Dad worked for him at the at the camp in Lakeville, lots of local people worked at the camp in Lakeville. Al I, I grew up in Freetown, and my immediate next door neighbor was Liz Napier. Oh, okay, yeah. And um, so uh, Al Palmieri, who was with uh, Dartmouth High School, Wareham High School, and Bristol Plymouth High School, he coached basketball both at Dartmouth and at Wareham. He was the uh, camp director, and my dad was the baseball director there. For eight years and um, excuse me for seven years and um, then of course dad was hired as the uh, as the first bench coach in the history of major league baseball and it was an innovation that uh, ted was a bit of an innovative manager and it was always my opinion biased though it may be sure is that uh, ted was a, a little better than average better in, not better than average but better than people thought he was as a manager in terms of um, understanding the dynamic between the pitcher and the catcher and he knew a lot about pitching and catching, and if you about hitting and pitching. And if you looked at his record and compared it to say, and I don't believe that he's a Hall of Fame manager, obviously like Joe Torre, but Joe Torre's first four years and uh, the re- his record is not that impressive. As a matter of fact, I believe uh, I believe they're very close to, between he and Ted in terms of their record for their first four years. And of course, Ted only worked four years as a manager in Major League Baseball. And, uh, and, of course, you mentioned Peter Abraham. Yeah. He was a student of my dad's at uh, Campbell School in the North End. And um, so they were, the, he, knew, he knew dad very well. 
And um, so there's, there's a lot, there's a few things that lots of people don't know about Ted, too, because I remember um, people mentioned his, his uh, battles with the media. And I remember relating, a, my dad relating a story to me. He had gone down to Florida in the, the middle 1980s, uh, I think it was 1986, and he met a writer there named Russ White. Now, Russ White had used to work for the evening newspaper in Washington, D.C., called The Star. I believe that was the name of the newspaper then. Right. It was a tabloid, a lot like the Boston Herald. And uh, my father saw him at spring training down there in 1986, I believe it was. And he asked him if he was, why, we, why was he down there at the Red Sox camp? Because that's where Ted was at the time, and Dad was visiting Ted there. And he said, no, 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 Joe. He said, I don't work for the Star anymore. Ted got me a job with the Tampa Sentinel. So there was a writer who had written about Ted in the most unflattering terms <laughs> on the Washington Star when Ted was manager there. And then when he, went, when he got into hard times and lost his job because the paper shut down in Washington... In, in, the, in the early 80s, and then Ted turned around and helped him get a job in the Tampa paper, with the Tampa paper because Ted used to you know, do fishing columns and would help uh, out with people that would ask him about fishing and things like that. So um, there are lots of different things about Ted. That, again, another thing, the Red Sox have, have been well, well known. It's been well documented, their, their racial problems, of course, with Jackie Robinson and so forth. And Ted was the first person, to my knowledge, when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in July of 1966, he was the first person that mentioned that the Negro League players should be inducted along with all the other major league players really? into the Hall of Fame. That that's a that's a very that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he was the first person to mention it, and um, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot more to be written as, as even though there's a rich treasure of uh, of, of uh, material about Ted. Because he was such an interesting and dynamic man, you know. But he was a man, and if we yes. begin, to, if we begin only to see these people as iconic figures and forget that they're men, then we begin to uh, we, we don't we can't see their weaknesses as, as those of our own. Right. And uh, if you forget looking at them like that, that these big stars, and I was fortunate in my life to be around uh, people that were in the the game and were in professional sports that were looked were looked up to. If we forget to be, if we forget that they're people, right, and just treat them uh, only as these iconic figures, then we expect too much and we get too little from them. I think that's very good, Mr. Camacho. I appreciate that quite a bit. And by the way, uh, yeah, your dad was, is a real legend. I mean, every, everyone, Scott May Lang is nodding his head. I mean, when anything you read about Ted Williams, you're inevitably coming across stuff about your dad. Yeah, they were. They were. They were personally very well acquainted. They were friendly, and they, their friendship is what, uh, well, in, in fact, the funny story is, when they first met at the Ted Williams camp, there's the diamond number one at Ted Williams camp in Lakeville. It used to be for the big kids, the 17, 18, and 19-year-old kids at the time. And Ted strolled onto the field, because he used to spend about seven weeks at the camp yep. every summer, and, um, and they got into an argument on, on their first meeting about whatever they were doing. I don't know if they were doing rundowns or something like that. And I think that the attractiveness between my father and Ted is that my father didn't um, back down on his own opinions. And lots of people can be sycophantic in their approach to some people. And when you get to be a Ted Williams or uh, any other individual that's very good at what they do. And, and my father had his own opinion. And I think that's what um, ended up being something that attracted Ted. 
in terms of he didn't just say yes to everything Ted said. He, he had his own way and his own opinion, and that, that sort of dynamic is helpful to anybody to get the better out of both of them, you know? And I think that was what, that was what, the, the, that was what helped galvanize, and, and in, galvanize their friendship. In other words, they were, the, he wasn't a yes man to him, and I think that was good for both of them. I, I can tell you that, that Ted Williams made a, a really big impression on the, the Lakeville community because I grew up out that way. And, you know, growing up, I grew up with kids who'd say, yeah, Ted Williams has been in my house. You know, he'd just walk over from the camp like at dinner time. If he yes, was hungry, yes. right? Like, no, no, no kidding. He would just show up. The Steidingers, for instance, who have, have, have a business out at the airport. Julie Steidinger and her brother, they lived right around the corner from the camp. Yep. They said Ted Williams would just come over to the house. Well, you do know the Cassidys, who, ra- who owned the camp, uh, originally were from New Bedford. Uh, they lived up in the, in the um, I want to say the Myrtle Street area, okay? Okay. And, and Al and Bernie Cassidy... Um, and uh, Les Warburton, who was married to one of the Cassidy sisters, they were all originally from New Bedford. And originally, the camp was to be um, was when they bought the property, and they were from I believe it was from the 4-H. Uh, I think it was a 4-H camp at one time, or it was a Boy Scout camp, one or the other. But when they bought the camp, they introduced they interviewed excuse me um, Rocky Marciano, and they wanted to have Rocky instead of Ted. But when they interviewed Rocky, and then they decided they wanted to do something with baseball. So when they got Ted, they knew they were right in. They, he was the guy that they needed in order to get a loan from the bank and all that stuff to get the thing going. And it was a very successful camp. It ran about, it ran seven, two, three and a half week sessions in the summer, and then a, a week uh, before was like a um, was like a clinic, a baseball clinic, and then there was a two week clinic after, which was also included a, a basketball clinic. Um, you had some great basketball players that participated, like Rick Barry, uh, Calvin Murphy, Jerry Lucas. Wow. All kinds of tremendous yeah. players. Uh, Wayne Embry, who ended up being the general manager of the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, who drafted uh, LeBron James. So there's a lot of great Whoa. basketball yeah. people at the Ted Williams camp. And it was a really great clinic that usually ran the last two weeks of August. It was a, it was a tremendous camp. It was a great camp. I mean, it's, uh, the facilities there were the were first rate there was, there used to be half a dozen buses that would come up from New York I mean Yogi Berra's uh children went to the camp and it was lots of different people that went there it was really an a first rate facility you know if you went there and you got great baseball instruction they came from all over the world Japan Venezuela it was it was fantastic so when i heard you guys on the radio I figured I'd throw my two cents in. I really appreciate it. Fasc- I really do. Really fascinating call. We do appreciate it. We hope you call in more. All righty. Have a good Thank one. Thank you, friend. Bye-bye. So we've got some more calls on the line, but we haven't properly introduced former and future Mayor Scott Lang. <laughs> Our first guest and <laughs> first really the guest. only guest of the show. The well, only you, guest. You haven't had guests since I was on. No, no we haven't. <laughs> that was a great call. That was a great yeah, call. Uh, that really was, good that call. Was a, that was, was an all-time fine. great call. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. amazing yeah. is that he used to call a lot during the golf cut. Co- golf uh, course discussion. Oh, yeah. And for a while, I thought it was Paul Walsh calling, because he's very knowledgeable about golf, like mm-hmm. Paul is, and very knowledgeable about the law. And he was going over the history of the golf course, all different things. So now I, I'm glad to put a, a name mm-hmm. with a voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. His father was... So I'll tell you just yeah, a quick, funny story about that. Uh, during the, uh, I guess, the, the legal... Uh, process and documents that were put together for the uh, 
Lakeville, Ted Williams Lakeville camp. Mm -hmm. uh, George Perkins, who was a lawyer from New Bedford, who uh, we ended up having an affiliation with okay. in his in the later part of his career, uh, had thousands of files. And the reason he had thousands of files is because the law firm goes back to the 1880s. Okay. And some of the files were George's or predecessors of George. So I uh, bring a bunch of young kids, you know, high school kids, to the office when we first got in, got a dumpster and said, look, there are a lot of files here that we're, we're going to shred important materials, but there's a lot of paperwork that's got to go out. So I leave, go to court, come back, and I see these corporate books all laying on top of uh, a pile in a dumpster. And I look and I go, hey, what the heck are you kids doing? You know, get off, get off my lawn. Are you crazy? You know, what are you doing out here? And, uh, and I go into the dumpster and I grab one of these corporate books. And it has uh, 25 signatures of Ted Williams. Really? In wow. The book. Like one by uh, each document. Signed yeah, yeah. One by one by one, you know. There was no auto pen back then. Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I look around and realize no one's watching me and I take all those books put it in a box bring it back up it's still in our attic you know no kidding because I know at the time it was get rid of all this stuff you know right, and right. I looked at it and said no then we also found whale logs um, these weren't thrown out but whale logs and we donated them to the museum oh those are some of the ones at the museum but yeah from, well I don't know that they're sh shown but to the museum and then some of the boats that came out of Nantucket we sent out to the Nantucket museum but they were uh you know, original whale logs from the whaling eras in, in New Bedford. So They're redoing some of those logs or, or refurbishing whatever term yeah. you want to use with CPA funds this yeah, year. I think it's yeah. great. Yeah. What, what you Not if Linda Moore has anything to say about it. <laughs> well, what I want to say is, is this. Um, everybody in their attic in New Bedford has some memorabilia that if we, if we were able to gather it all together, Correct. we'd start another museum about New Bedford. That call from... Joe Camara's son is is an audio that should go on in that museum. You know, that's the history Incredible. of that baseball camp, which was a great baseball camp. Scott and I had heard about the basketball piece of that as well, and I know it was a great basketball the camp. The Scott also. Lang Museum of Miscellany. Is, yeah. Is the <laughs> <laughs> we'll use CPA funds. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. Uh, good evening. You're live. Good evening. Hey. Hi. Hi. I have a Ted Williams story for you. Excellent. Right. My grandmother was a cook at the camp. Oh, she was a, uh, at the Ted Williams camp? Yep, she cooked for him. Oh, cool. Did, and also for the kids? One or, day or? she made him a meatloaf, and she left the book there that she used, the cookbook, and he wrote a note in it to her. And it said, to Rosie, to the best meatloaf ever. Wow. Love Ted Williams. And then somebody else. Uh, Eugene Pellegrino, I think it is, signed it also. That is sure. That's very cool. Did you yeah. keep the note? Yeah. You still have yeah. it? Oh, yeah. That's going in the museum. My dad, and my dad gave it to me. That's, That's very cool. Yep. That's awesome. That's yeah. a great story. Now, did she cook just for him or for the whole camp? She was a professional cook. Well, so she's probably cooking but for the whole she, camp. She cooked for a lot of... Uh, she cooked for Basil Brewer. She was his cook. Oh, well, Basil Brewer. Yeah. Basil Brewer That's used to be the owner of the Standard York. Times. She cooked for them. Yeah, she was a really good cook, and my dad took right after her, and I'm now I'm following 
in their steps. What are you cooking yeah, tonight? She, was, uh, she cooked up there at the, at the camp. Yep. Did you make the meatloaf tonight? Not tonight. <laughs> do you but make do good make meatloaf? It. I do. All right. What else do you make? Everything. <laughs> Kale soup, shepherd's pie, everything. I do everything. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. I got to take this break. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you. That's very cool. I didn't expect to get multiple Ted Williams stories after the. uh... Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Hey, let's uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app today. You don't have to stick by your radio to hear all of South Coast tonight. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSM app or download their podcast. South Coast Tonight continues now. No, no, no. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. So that was a... Um, that was really cool. A nice segment. Um, yeah. With, with Chad Flynn from the Boston Globe. Finn. And Finn. Yeah. yeah. Chad Finn. And what's the name of the book? The... Um, so let me... The Boston I, Globe... Yeah, go ahead, Scott. The Boston Globe History of the Red Sox. So let me give my impression because I was driving, listening to you. I thought you both. Oh, I thought you Boston did, Globe story of the Red Sox. I thought you both did a great job on it, and Thank I you. thought Thanks. it was very. I think we did interesting. Too. Yeah, you did. You did because that's a hard thing to get in, get a rolling, and right? You, and you got from the book, and then you got into some real time type fun issues. But here's what I'll say: If I was uh, calling in. Or if you called me and said, so what did you think? I would say this. The Boston Globe story of the Red Sox, more than a century of championships, challenges, and characters by Chad Finn. I've read about it. I've read about it as long as, uh, as recently as uh, probably January. There was a big story about it saying how long it took to put together, which Marcus touched on. It's a compilation. The reason this is a great sports book it's a compilation of three or four hundred columns right. in different time frames that it takes you as long as it would take to read the column. Right. And you don't say, now I'm not going to remember where I was in this darn book and I'm not going to remember the plot line. Right. It's a great book to read, you know, two columns, three columns a night. Yes. Yeah. It's a perfect, perfect um, Father's Day gift or first guest on a radio show (laughs) something like that where where you get this go buy the books boys yeah if you 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 go you get this book and you say i'm shocked you got it for me right Right. but but this is a this is a darn good book how did you know yeah right this is a darn good book and it's and it's a really friendly book to read and read to kids I mean, it's a, it's a great book to have in your house because you'll never get tired of it. When, when he started talking about Fred Lynn and Jim Rice in Pawtucket in 74, 74, I was three years old. A few years later, my father was taking us to Pawtucket. Right. Because you'd see the Yankee Clippers would play. You'd see real, just like... From the Yankee Clippers from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing, right? Yeah. You'd see guys... I can remember watching a guy, my father... My father elbowed me and said, look at that guy. The guy had a sledgehammer. He was just with his wrist taking the sledgehammer from his shoulder to his ankle. From his shoulder to his ankle. And tell the audience, you're serious. It was a sledgehammer. A sledgehammer. You're not, you're not saying a bat that you were calling no, no. a sledgehammer. A real, a real sledgehammer. sledgehammer. That's right. how strong the guy was. Right. It was like something from the circus. He was limbering up. Yeah, it was amazing. Right? You, you just real good baseball down in Pawtucket. And, but again, like you said... 
the stars of the 70s in Pawtucket ended up <clears throat> at the Red Sox. And, and then all over baseball. Right. Amazing. Interesting. So let me, let me just say one other thing about this type of book. I love Bob Creamer. He writes, he writes great books, great sports books. He wrote a book, uh, Babe Ruth, The Legend Comes Alive. He okay. wrote a book about Casey Stengel. Just great. I mean, you, you read them, you can't put them down. When you, and that's how you become a great reader, by the way. Absolutely. Find a book that you like. You won't put it down. Your mom will call you and say, <laughs> no, I mean, or, or your wife, whoever it might be, your significant other will call you and say, it's time for dinner. If you're reading a good book, you'll say, I'll, I'll eat later. I want to finish it. That's how you get a young kid hooked on reading. Absolutely. And, and if they can read their favorite book, then they can read Ulysses. Yes. Now, they won't like reading Ulysses. No, it's miserable. But if they can read their, if they can read their favorite book... They will read Great Expectations. All right? Now, He's always going to redeem himself. Yeah, now the, right? At least it's, it's, it's working on this. But the, the last thing I want to say about this thing is that putting this book together. Hope it's the last thing because we got you until 10. Oh, gee, all right. So, well, the. Slow the, down, space it out. Well, next to the last thing I'm yes. going to say is this that uh, Chad Finn putting this together is like an archivist. That's, that's exactly what. That's exactly what Marcus called him. And the key on it is that you're reading it through the eyes of the person who wrote it in a contemporaneous way. So what they're reading, there's, it's not blemished. It's not, it's unblemished. It's not like someone put it together, put it in a blaring, a wearing blender and said, okay, let's, let's discuss the Red Sox in the 1920s. Right. These are people in the twenties discussing the Red Sox. Yes. That's what's great about yes. this book. That's why if this book isn't in everybody's library, on everybody's desk at some point or another, you're missing out here because Chad Finn did the work for you. And the, the other thing, too, is <clears throat> I, I mentioned it, and, um, he, you know, Pete Abraham, who's from New Bedford, is one of the columnists in the book. Mm -hmm. um, his dad was my guidance counselor, so sorry. You know, he's probably, I hope he's a better writer than his dad was a guidance Every, counselor. Everybody, <laughs> right, everybody knows Gammons. Right, right. Everyone knows Gammons. Everyone knows Gammons, Gammons is from this area. Everybody yep, yeah. knows him. Um, Shaughnessy, Ryan. Ryan, Ryan is, is, is a great writer. Yes. Very well known for basketball. Great writer. Really good guy. Shaughnessy, good guy. Right. I, I mean, he, he, he spikes Yes. controversy but right he's a he's a great writer good guy it's a fun book so we um we got to take a break before i, I go a, a, a listener's uh saying uh i'm i'm proud that i knew who basil brewer was because i listened to the show that's awesome it's great uh, basil brewer was the um basil brewer was the owner of the standard times uh, Made john kennedy he yeah he he changed the world actually with and he's standard rolling times. in his grave right now yes and every day <laughs> every day whenever, whenever the standard times is printed he rolls in his grave yes. right now so let's take just less and less every day <laughs> right fewer rolls <laughs> we gotta take a break Jim. Hey, we're no, I didn't do that. So, uh, <laughs> welcome back. We're just closing the eight o'clock hour. We're with uh, New Bedford, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang, future New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang, and then uh, we'll be here until and some Riccardi's pizza, definitely, and some soda. And Scott insists that we use ice when we drink soda. And he brings his own ice. And he brings his own ice. It's bagged. He doesn't trust other ice because. 
the possibility of legionnaires. But yeah. I have to. I do want to say this though. If you're sophisticated, you are sophisticated. There's nothing you can do about it. And that means you can't drink soda unless you have ice in it. You right? can't help it. Yeah. Also, he also he eats his pizza with a knife and fork. Did you ever know that? I no, that's that. not true. <laughs> I want to say, everyone out there, that is not true. A spork, actually. He, yeah. he, he, he eats his spork. His, eats his candy bars. Mm -hmm. You know who did that? Del, uh, Del, Basio, uh, Del Blasio. Del Blasio? Yeah, did that, yeah. Yeah, he came, said he was really Donald New Yorker. Donald Trump did that. And he ate pizza with a knife and fork, yeah. Yeah. You can't have pizza from New Bedford and eat it with a knife and fork. No, you really can't. There used to be a, what was that place called? Slices. Slices. Yeah. It oh, was it was downtown. You were, yeah, you were you were mayor at the time. It, w it was it was yeah, it's good. What, yeah, that it was, was a drunk. It was a place to get pizza late at night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they would not sell you a whole pizza because once one of our regular listeners, Billy Walsh, tried to get a whole pizza there, and they said no. He goes, "We sell it by the slice." It's called slices. And, and they said, "Yeah, they order eight. Yeah, and he goes, just just sell me the whole pizza. And it, it began, and of course, I'm just laughing in the background, which is not making it any more serious. And they're laughing at him, and it just... So late night stories are not something we're doing tonight, <laughs> right? But late night stories are interesting. And we just all have not them. doing them now. And, and the callers would definitely have a ton of them because everyone's been out at one point or another late at night. Yeah. But that's not tonight. Pizza. And if you, have it, if you have it, I'm sorry. Yeah, I miss slices. Yeah, yeah, it was a good spot. What happened to Slices, Scott? Slices uh, closed. It was next to the garden. Yes. Yeah. And it closed uh, when I was mayor, boarded up, and it had um, it had a long.